0: If you're like me, you may wonder from time to time where you stand with people. Uh, If you have a great deal of insecurity, um, you may wonder uh, where you stand with people. Uh, You may wonder where you stand, like for me, for example, I sometimes wonder where I stand with my wife, Uh, not that she doesn't tell me that she loves me because she does, and not that she doesn't tell me that she cares about me and show me that she loves me because she does, Uh, but sometimes I wonder where I stand with her because I'm kind of boneheaded sometimes, uh, or oftentimes, uh, a little headstrong on occasion. Um, I was just waiting for the amen from the back of the room, but, uh, never mind. Uh, so, but I can be a little boneheaded, a little headstrong sometimes, a little stubborn, if you will. Yes, it does happen. Uh, I am a man and, um, and ladies, just like your man, I am an idiot. So, um, sorry guys, I left the cat out of the bag. I know, right? It's like you're telling our secrets. That I, I read this hilarious tweet uh, that this uh, wife said to her husband it seems like every man on the planet has to share one brain and he says can't come up with a witty response because it's not my turn to use the brain but uh so <laughs> I thought it was hilarious but uh anyway um so so I sometimes wonder where I stand with her because I do dumb things uh, sometimes I wonder where I stand with like the leaders of our church you know because again I do dumb things but uh but you know, it's like, am I am I doing a good job? Am I doing the things that I need to be doing? Are are, are the elders proud of me? Are they, you know, thinking about firing me? Which they're not. You they know, um, but uh, sometimes I wonder where I stand with them, or sometimes I wonder where I stand with my friends. You know, I don't feel worthy of their friendship. I, you know, I'm not always the, the best friend that, that I can be, and so I wonder if I if I'm worthy of their friendship. And and maybe you're the same way. Maybe you wonder how you you know fit in and and where you stand with people, where do you stand with your spouse, or where do you stand with your friends, or maybe where you stand with God, because I know a lot of people really wonder where they stand with God, and we kind of worry about, you know, what does God think of me, and, and and is God proud of me, and does God love me, and does God care for me, you know, where do I stand with God? I've talked to people before who said, I just wish that Jesus would come down and appear to me and say, it's okay, you're doing all right, you're doing okay, you're on the right, track. Any of you ever feel that way? just wish Jesus would just come down and be like, it's okay, buddy. You're doing a good job. You're doing okay. You're on the right track. You're going to make it to heaven. We're all going to be there together. It's all good, okay? Quit freaking out. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came down just right now and, like appeared on stage and go, quit freaking out? Uh, I mean, just relax, you know? But I mean, we so we wonder where we stand with God because, you know, we feel uh, we feel unworthy, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I oftentimes feel unworthy because of my own sinfulness, because I'm a sinner, and guess what? You are too, and we're all sinners, and we know our own sins all too well. We know the things that we do that we shouldn't do. We know the things that we don't do that we should do, And, and so we all feel that weight of sin on us, and we feel unworthy to be loved by God. Or we feel inadequate, like we don't know enough, I don't read my Bible enough, I don't pray enough, I don't witness enough, I don't talk to people about Jesus enough, and I feel so inadequate in the Christian, like I don't I don't know enough, and I haven't learned enough, and, and I'm just not good enough, and so we feel inadequate. Or we feel unloved, like we don't deserve God's love, and we shouldn't receive God's love, and, and we feel unloved sometimes. But we're not alone. Because there was a group of people in today's story that we're going to talk about, who felt unworthy, inadequate, and unloved? They were the shepherds of Luke chapter two. We started a series here a couple weeks ago called "Fear Not." It's based on a series from Life Church in Oklahoma, and this series is all about the stories where angels appeared to people and told them the first things out of their mouth were "Fear not" or "Do not be afraid." And we're talking this this Christmas season about how how God drives out the fear from our lives. And so the first week we talked about Mary and how she may have been afraid uh, to do what God was asking her to do because God was asking her to do something pretty huge. She was a young teenage girl, and she was engaged to be married, and and she didn't know what the future held, uh, but God really stepped in and and threw a wrench in her plans because he says, you're pregnant, or you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to give birth to a child, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. And the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which literally means uh, God saved or Yahweh saved. And so the very name of Jesus tells us that he is a savior. And so we talk about Mary and, and her fear of what God was asking her to do, but the angel said, fear not. God will give you the strength to do what he's asking you to do. And then last week we talked about Joseph. And how Joseph was a, approached by an angel, and a, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, Fear not, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. He, he was afraid of what people may think about him. And, you know, what would they think about him marrying Mary, who had uh, maybe had cheated on him, or, or maybe had, had been unfaithful to him. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, because the baby that she's carrying is from the Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid of what other people think about you. Know what God thinks about you. And and we saw that God loves us and he's crazy about it. And and we don't have to be afraid of what other people think about us because we know what God thinks about us. Next week, for Christmas weekend, like I said, we're having four services Friday at six thirty, Saturday at five, Sunday at nine thirty and eleven. And we're going to talk about a passage of scripture that has nothing to do with Christmas. But it has everything to do with Christmas. And it's how God's perfect love drives fear out of our lives. So we're going to talk about that next week for our Christmas services. I, I really do want to encourage you to invite somebody to join us for Christmas. It could be a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. It could be a, a relative, a family member, great aunt uh, Lisa or whatever you know. And then, uh, or it could be an enemy, you know, which may be your great aunt Lisa. I don't know, you know. So, but invite anybody and everybody you can to join us for one of our Christmas Eve services next weekend. We really want them to come and check it out and experience the good things that are going on here at ULCC. Today we're talking about an angel who appeared to some shepherds. And there's some things you got to know about shepherds. And shepherds were the lowest of the low on the rung of the ladder of society. I mean, They were the lowest of the low. Nobody, uh, shepherds were despised. I think we sometimes have like this image of shepherds because King David was a shepherd and we have this image of shepherds as, you know, maybe kind of a noble profession. It was not a noble profession. In fact, nobody wanted their child to grow up and become a shepherd. You know, there were much better jobs like pig farmer. You know, I mean, not a shepherd, just not a shepherd. They were they were seen as thieves. They were not considered to be trustworthy. They weren't allowed to to testify in court because they were not seen as trustworthy. Uh, shepherds were the lowest of the low. I mean, they were uneducated. Uh, they were not wealthy. Uh, and like I said, they were often seen as thieves. So we're talking about, you know, total social and religious outcasts. They couldn't they couldn't keep the Sabbath because tending sheep is a 24 hour day seven-day-a-week job. So you'd have to tend to the sheep uh, instead of going to to temple or going to uh, the synagogue for worship. See, so they couldn't keep the Sabbath. They were considered unclean because they were caring for animals. And they couldn't go to the, the temple or to the synagogue to be de- to do the rituals it would take to be de- to be declared ceremonially clean. So they were in a constant state of uncleanliness. And not only that, nobody wanted to touch them. So like nobody wanted to be around them. And, and to top it all off, they hung out with sheep all day. So how do you think they smelled? They smelled like sheep. And I've been to petting zoos before. And it's, it's not a good smell. I mean, it's, you're talking like a, an unwashed... 40 year old wool sweater attached to an animal. Right? And so people didn't like, them. no, people despised Shepherd. Like I said, they were complete and total religious and social outcasts, uneducated, unworthy, inadequate, and unmust. Let's open our Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter two, verses eight through eleven. We're going to talk about this story uh, about the shepherd, and uh, it's on. It's, if you didn't grab a, if you didn't bring a Bible today, it's in, you can grab one out of a chair in front of you. It's on page seven twenty-five of that Bible, or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, or the words will be up here on the screen in just a moment. And we're going to look at verses eight and 9 first, And then we're, we're going to talk about three reasons why shepherds may have felt distant from God, and then we're going to look at verses 10 and 11, and then we'll look at a passage from Romans, and then we'll talk about how it applies to our lives. Let's just look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 first. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Notice that whenever an angel appears, the first words out of his mouth, the King James says, is, fear not or do not be afraid. The first word, what do these creatures look like? They got to be terrifying because it says the shepherds were terrified when this angel appears to them. And so the angel says, fear not or do not be afraid. Now, these, like I said, these shepherds were considered social and religious outcasts. And they probably didn't feel very close to God. In fact, they probably felt pretty distant from God and, and for probably for three reasons. The first is that they were they felt unworthy the shepherds felt unworthy and maybe you feel unworthy I know this. there are times that I feel unworthy like I said the shepherds were ceremonially unclean they couldn't get to the temple or to the to the synagogue in order to, to become to be made clean to do the rituals that it took they couldn't keep the Sabbath they probably felt pretty unworthy of, of this appearance of the angel. they also felt inadequate they said they were uneducated they were not trusted. And they didn't feel like they measured up. Again, you can't do what it takes to, to become clean. You can't get to the temple or to the uh, synagogue for Sabbath. You can't observe the Sabbath. You can't observe the laws. They probably felt pretty inadequate. And they also felt unloved. What would God ever want to do with a shepherd? Why would God ever love a shepherd? Like I said, they were untrustworthy. They were often seen as thieves. You know, they, they were the lowest rung of society. In fact, they were despised. So why would God love them, the people would? And so you've got these shepherds out in the field, and an angel appears to them. And you got to wonder, what is God doing? What is God up to in this story? Look at verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What does God do? Why does he appear to lowly shepherds? Why does he appear to those who feel unworthy, inadequate, and unloved? Why does he do this? I mean, God could have showed up to anyone. He could have sent the angel to anyone. He could have sent the angel to the educated, to scholars, people who were looking for the signs in the sky and looking for the, the birth of the Messiah. He could have sent the angel to the to the wise, but he chose the uneducated shepherds instead. He could have sent the, the, the angel to the powerful, to a king or to a prince, to someone living in a palace, but he chose these lowest rung of society shepherds instead, the, the weak and the powerless, not the powerful. Uh, he could have sent uh, the angel to uh, some religious people. To a priest or to the high priest, you would think that that would be God's MO, that he would send an angel to the high priest. Hey, by the way, this Messiah that I promised to send 2,000, 4,000 years ago, I'm sending him and he's here. But he didn't send the angel to the religiously powerful. He sent the angel to the religious outcast. And that's one of the themes of the book of Luke. If you ever read through the book of Luke, you'll notice over and over and over again that God reaches out to the outcast, to the ostracized, to the powerless and not the powerful. Not to the insider, but to the outsider. Jesus goes to those who feel ostracized and outcast. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you feel like you are. Maybe you feel like you're an outcast. Maybe you feel like you are ostracized. Maybe you feel like you're not an insider; that you're an outsider, and then that God would never have want anything to do with you because you feel unworthy. You know, I feel unworthy sometimes. When I take communion on a Sunday morning, I think, oh man, what would God want with me?" I feel so unworthy to get up and preach every week. I feel so unworthy. I know my own sinfulness. I know the things that I've done and the things that I've said and the things that I've thought and the, the sins I've committed and the, the good things that I haven't done, and I feel unworthy. Or maybe you feel inadequate. No, I feel inadequate. Anymore. Maybe you feel like you don't know enough or you haven't learned enough or you haven't spent enough time reading your Bible, or you don't spend enough time praying, or you haven't been to church enough. You know, Maybe you haven't been to church in years. Maybe you haven't been to church in months or weeks and you feel inadequate, like I'm just not good enough for God. I know I feel that way. Too. Or maybe you feel in love. Maybe there's something you've done in the past, that you think God could never forgive me for that, and God doesn't love me because I did that, and God doesn't care about me because I know what I did 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 5 years ago. And there's no way that God could ever love me. There's a passage of scripture I want to read for you now from the book of Romans. And I really hope today that it really just lays the rest. Whatever feelings of unworthiness, inadequacy, or unlovableness my word, that you feel. It's from Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. It says this. So, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And there are three things you've got to know about this passage of Scripture, that will lay to rest your feelings of inadequacy, your feelings of unworthiness, your feelings of unlovableness. Three things you got to know. And the first is this: you cannot earn God's acceptance by abiding the law. God is not going to love you more if you keep the Ten Commandments. Than if you don't. What? Yeah. God will not
1: accept you more if you keep the Ten Commandments. What? He already loves you one of my favorite authors is a guy named Steve Brown. He says, this: God loves you as much as He loves you. He loves you as much as He loves you. Not because you're great, not because you're wonderful, but because He made you. He cares you. you. And He loves you. And now He doesn't love you, but He likes you. He loves you as much as He loves you. So whatever feelings of inadequacy or unworthiness or unworthiness you may have, know that it's not it has nothing to do with keeping the law, observing the law of Moses. Keeping your Ten Commandments won't let God love you anymore. He can't love you any more than he already does because he loves you all the way. You can't earn God's acceptance by keeping the law. Second, you gotta know this. The purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior.
0: That's why we have the law. It's not so that we can try and earn our salvation. It's not so that we can try and be good enough for God. No, the law merely shows us that we need a Savior. For example, I'm driving down Colfax the other day with my son in the car. We're on our way to school. We're going down Colfax. We're by the chemical plant over there on Colfax. You know what I'm talking about? And there's that new stop sign that they put in by the railroad tracks. Just so you know, There's a stop sign there now. There's a stop sign there. So I'm getting ready to come up to the stop sign, and like a good, responsible, defensive driving citizen that I am, I put on my brakes to stop. All of a sudden, I see this. I'm going to say it's about a navy blue Jeep. Anybody drive a navy blue Jeep? So anyway, this navy blue Jeep comes flying up behind me. It's got to be doing 65 miles an hour, and the speed limit there is 35. I know, because I drive the speed limit most of the time. So I'm driving out I'm getting ready, and this thing, just, this, this baby keeps just turns, and just zooms right around me. And it's just, I'm like, man, I hope that that, that that neurosurgeon driving that Jeep right now is able to get to the hospital in time to save the person that apparently is in critical condition. Because that's the only explanation I can come up with that they have got to perform some life-saving procedures, that they're going 65 in a 35. I have a kid in the car. Anyway. So when I'm coming down the road, and this car flies around me, I think, have you, any of you ever do this? I would give all the hair in my head right now for a cop to pull out. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for the honesty, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you ever notice that when you're going down the road, and you just kind of be bopping along, mind your own business, and you're doing maybe 40, 50 miles an hour in a 35 or something like that. And, and then you look up and you see that speed limit sign says 35. And you think to yourself, oh, man, I'm speeding. I, I can get caught. I can get a ticket. You know, some of you do. Some of you don't. you're like, eh, suggestion. Um, but what does that do? What does the law do? The law shows you that you're a speeder. The law shows you that you're speeding you see the law and you go oh man i'm speeding i better slow down or again suggestion but that's what the law of moses does that's what the old covenant does the law of moses shows us that we're sinners It shows us that we lie. It shows us that we steal. It shows us that we commit adultery. It shows us that we uh, use the Lord's name in vain, that we don't honor him, uh, that we don't honor our parents. That's what the law does. It points out the fact that we need a Savior, that we're not good enough, that we can't do it. I know that I need a Savior, and I know that I can't keep the law because Jesus died, because Jesus wouldn't have had to die if I could keep the law perfectly. But I know that I can't, and the reason I know that I can't is because Jesus died. That's why he came. And that's number three. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Be trusting in yourself to keep the law. do not do it. Trusting in your efforts to be saved. not do it. It comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. I've heard it said this. There's a difference between a relationship with God and religion. You see, religion, religion says it's based on what you do. It's based on you keeping the law, keeping the Ten Commandments, or any one of the 613 laws of the Old Testament. There's 613, by the way. How you doing? Hmm. Same. So religion is based on your ability to keep the law. Relationship with God is based on what Jesus already did on the cross. Because you can't add to it. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. God raised him from the dead on the third day. You can't add to it. Religion. Religion is about you. But this relationship with God is based on
1: Jesus. It's all about him. because're trying so him.
0: Quit trying so hard to earn your salvation, to earn forgiveness, to earn love. You can't. can't earn it. It's all I heard it said this way, religion is spelled D-O. But a relationship with God is spelled D-O-N-E.
1: not about what you do. It's about what Jesus is about the God.
0: So how do you get in this relationship here at GSDC, we believe in a very simple plan of salvation. right out you got to believe. You have to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Believe in Jesus is the only thing. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus Christ. can't be saved any other way than others who Jesus Christ. Religion can't save you. Following rules can't save you. Going to church can't save you. No.
1: no. We go to church because we love Jesus. We want to worship him and fellowship with other Christians. We don't go to church to be saved. We go to church because we are saved. This is our opportunity to spend time with, with each other and with him. So you got to believe in Jesus Christ
0: as your only Savior. You need to repent from sin. And repentance, the Greek word for repentance, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And the ancient Greek word for repentance is a, a word that literally means a change of mind. It's not a change of behavior, because you can't change your behavior on your own. You've been trying for years and failing. Am I right? Amen? Yes? No, I've been trying. I still fail. The change of mind is saying, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to live for sin anymore. I want to live for Jesus. That change of mind. That's repentance. Choosing to live with
1: Jesus okay.
0: instead of this day. If You need to confess your faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You've got to believe, you've got to confess. So we ask that Jesus just publicly say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that He's the Messiah, He's the Savior, He's the Son of the living God, and I want Him to be my Lord and Savior then you've got to be baptized. We believe that you need to be baptized. Not as a way of earning God's favor, not as a way of making Him proud of you, but as a way of obeying what Jesus told us to do. In the book of Acts, in chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Peter told the crowd, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and for all who are far off whom the Lord our God will call In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
1: That's why we're kind of big on baptism here. And so, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, repentance from your sins, confessing your faith and being baptized, you will enter into this at that moment, enter into this relationship with God, that will never end. Never end. And it's a relationship based on his grace. It's an offer of grace. I Meaning you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't be good enough for it, you can't put enough money in the offering plate for it. It is a gift of grace. It's the
0: first gift of grace. And not only is it the first, it's the last. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, I don't know if you feel unworthy, inadequate or
1: unloved, maybe unlovable. Wherever you're at, God says, I want to do away with those feelings. I want to do away with the feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness and unlovable. I want to replace them with my love. And you can enter into this relationship today. Our water it's always 85 degrees. It's not a special I amount mean, of, in fact, it's heated up and chlorinated. But it's, it's always ready. We've always got clothes that you can change into. We're always ready. So that when you're ready to take that step of faith, and you're ready to take that step and make that next step yours, you just let us know. We're not going to twist you arm, We're not going to coerce you. We're not going to, you know, you do anything you're not ready to do. But when you're ready to enter into this relationship, I want to We'll do that. because I believe that God loves every single one, And He, wants. he <coughs> wants nothing more than to and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He? That from people, He told the shepherd, about this good news, ah,